0: who is the real Jesus and uh, John's gospel is a great place to look because John we think knew Jesus the best and he writes specifically for the purpose of that we might know Jesus and find life in him and tonight we come to a passage that's just so important and so unique and it makes Christianity so much different uh, than any other Religion, any other school of thought, uh, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and Jesus weeping at his tomb. And so uh, I'll read it for us, and then we'll spend some time thinking about these questions like, why does God allow sad things, and how can God be good and our world be sad, and all these questions that this passage really speaks to. And so let me read it for us. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. It uh, picks up in verse 17 there. Uh, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mar- Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And verse 53 concludes by saying, So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Uh, let's pray again. Uh, Father, as we come now to this word, we pray that it would be life to us and that you would give us your spirit to apply it to our hearts and change us in all the ways that we need to be changed. And uh, We come tonight from a lot of different places, and we pray that you would meet us where we are and feed our souls. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, You don't have to look around far to notice the sadness of our world. All you have to do is open up Google News or Twitter or turn on the TV news and you hear of stories like hurricanes uh, that wipe out whole areas, uh, leaving people with nothing, perhaps taking people's lives. Or perhaps you see something like a wave of sexual assaults In a wave of accusations and a wave of denials, and just a wave of people in shouting matches with one another, not hearing each other, uh, meanwhile leaving victims just with no, with nothing. And that's just the news. You, You could just as easily look to your own life or our own lives to see things like rejection and disappointment heartache and even death of those we love and you know I feel like I have the privilege of getting to know many of you and Jonathan and Hannah and I we love to we consider it a great honor to hear your stories and hear what you deal with and what kind what heartache you bring to the table and you know just from you know in this room alone, I know that there's A lot of that. I know there's a lot of rejection and a lot of disappointment, a lot of waiting on God, a lot of heartache and suffering. And what that feels like is like when we feel that sadness, we instinctively feel like it wasn't supposed to be this way. Uh, There's this movie that many of us uh, talked about on that night when we had favorite movie night, uh, the Shawshank Redemption kind of a classic it's old now but it starts it's about a prison break uh, an escape from prison one of the first scenes in that movie is uh, a group of prisoners arriving at the prison and the prisoners that have been there they all know that that night when all the new prisoners go to bed someone's just going to break down because it always happens and it does happen that night and there's a man there who starts sniffling and then he starts sobbing and then he continuously <laughs> shouts, I'm not supposed to be here. There's been a mistake. I'm not supposed to be here. He can't stop shouting and sobbing. I'm not supposed to be here. There's been a mistake. And that's what sadness often feels like. We get to this point, something happens, and we think, it just wasn't, this was not supposed to happen and as we confront sadness, there's two typical ways that we confront it. One is to say that sadness is really an illusion. It's a state of mind that we can get out of just by staying positive. So you may, people hear, you may hear people say things like, stay positive, put on a happy face. Um, or the opposite way to deal with it is to kind of go down the path of, yeah, I knew it. Life is meaningless. Like this sadness proves that life is meaningless. There is no God. There is no hope. You might as well just enjoy what you can out of life because there's no hope. And both of those approaches are deeply <coughs> flawed. They're, deep, they're unlivable. You can't live truly with either of those approaches. And in our passage, we see Jesus responding differently. Uh, we see him responding to deep sadness, and he shows us God's answer to sadness in our world. And the first part of that is that sadness is real. It's not something you can just snap out of. You can't just put on a happy face. Even Jesus gets tremendously sad, but sadness does not prove that life is meaningless. And God can actually take our sadness and work it into his glory. And so tonight what I want to look at is how how does Jesus respond to the sadness of death in this passage? And what we're going to see is three W's tonight. He waits. First he waits. Then he weeps, and then he finally wakes Lazarus from the dead. So first of all, he waits. And in this passage, first off, we learn that Jesus has actual friends. Their names are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, which, you know, we just don't miss that about God. God is not a force. God is not, like, this nebulous thing. But God is personal, so personal that when he came to earth, he, like, made friends and like joked around with them and shared meals with them and walked through life with them. That's the God that we seek to know here in our UF. And in this passage, his friend Lazarus gets very sick and these messengers from Mary and Martha, his sisters, come to Jesus and tell him. And in verses five and six, it says that Jesus loved them. And so, he, uh, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he waited. He loved them and it seemed urgent, but he loved them, so he waited. Uh, because he loves his friends, he purposely waits two extra days. And I want us to think about what that shows us about God. And what it ultimately shows us is that God can love you, and because of his love for you, allow you to hurt. Which is a hard truth to come to terms with. A few of you remember last year, around, right around this time of year last year, a RUF, we had a flag football team and we weren't very good but we were okay and in one of the games I, uh, a tendon on my finger pulled back from the bone and it was just like fluke injury where I caught it on my fingertip on someone's like shirt or something I don't even really know it didn't hurt that bad but immediately I noticed that like when I tried to close that joint like my brain would tell it to close and it would stay open Like I was like, something is weird. With like, it doesn't hurt that bad. It's a little bruised, and even some. I remember like sitting in the U, talking with several of you, being like, "What? Like, have you ever had this before?" It feels like I jammed my finger, kind of, but like, I'm not getting movement back in this joint. And and some of you were like, "Go to the doctor," (laughs) and I'm thinking like, you know, it's probably no big deal. It'll probably get better. And it wasn't getting better on its own. And when I went to the doctor they very quickly figured out the tendon thing and they were like, yeah, you have to have surgery. We'll schedule it for like next Friday. I was like, ah, and I'm thinking like, okay, it's probably just one of those surgeries where you like look away and they like fiddle with it and, and then they fix it. But it turned out it was like very invasive in my finger surgery, like three hours long, put you to sleep surgery. And the result of that was that, like, when I came out of surgery, it felt like someone had smashed my finger with a hammer. Like, it hurt really bad, and thankfully there's pain medication that helps with that. But if that wasn't bad enough, like, for weeks after it, like, my fingers was, like, shredded in this surgery, and, like, it does not feel good to bend, but I I know some of you have been to much more painful physical therapy than this, but for me this was painful, you know, bending the finger to get it to be better. And, like, this was, like, I almost, like, I had to stop them several times because I was, like, I'm about to pass out. (laughs) So, like, you need to stop bending my finger for a minute. Uh, But that's what it took for my finger to get better. It had to get, like, smashed and torn up and, like, wrenched back into place. Uh, Also, it could get better. And I want us to have a category for God dealing with us potentially in ways like that for our good. Uh, Jesus knows that his plan is best in the story, so he's willing to disappoint his friends to accomplish it. They need to know, like his friends need to know that Jesus is the only one who will save them. And Jesus knows that the best way, like if he gives them exactly what they want... Uh, they'll forget they need him. They'll forget they need a savior. They'll begin to trust in themselves instead. And a great way to think about that is prayer, right? When should we pray? All the time, right? Like the world is precarious. All kinds of things can happen. Like we should walk around praying to God uh, for protection and, and help with all these things that we face. But you know, when do we pray? We pray when we see our needs clearly. Like when we, when we get really desperate and we're like, I really have these needs, we pray. Uh, when do we not pray? When we feel like we have everything. And Jesus', a- Jesus actions in this passage mean we need, we need to rethink this idea of what Christian maturity even is. Because we think like Christian maturity must mean no problems, smooth sailing, everything <laughs> is settled. But in this passage, Jesus is showing us that Christian maturity is coming to a place where you can say, God is all I need. Like, I need you, and I need him. I've heard it put this way, you don't realize that God is all you need until God is all you have. And so Christians are people that say, God is all I have and all I need. And Jesus will lovingly disappoint you to bring you to that place.
1: Uh, So I wonder, what are you
0: most sad and disappointed about today? It uh, could be all kinds of things, right? Maybe you can relate to these sisters, Mary and Martha, when they say, "Like, where were you when this happened? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died." Or maybe you've been waiting on God like a long time. You know, maybe you've been waiting like, God. All I want is one thing. Why do I never like? Why are you waiting? Do you not love me? And here God is revealed as someone who does care, but we need to have a category for deep disappointment in his love being compatible together. Because he's God. Uh, if he's truly God, then we need to be willing to be disappointed with him without turning away. And they need, our disappointments need to begin drawing us toward him. Um, so whether you're sad tonight, or whether things are okay tonight, this text invites us to boldly pray, like, God, do whatever it takes to make me see my need for you and trust in your love, even if it means I have to hurt. That's why he waits. But he goes on to weep. Jesus weeps in this passage. And we see it when he, makes, he finally makes the journey, the two-mile journey, so not that far, from Jerusalem to Bethany. And at this point, Lazarus has been dead four days. And when Jesus encounters Mary, his sister, and everyone around her is with her and crying, it says, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And it goes on to say, Jesus wept. And this is where we see that the Christian view of death and suffering is totally different than anything else. Because Jesus is God, Right? Did he not know? Like, he knows this story is going to have a happy ending. Like, he came there to raise Lazarus from dead. He knows what he's doing. And yet, he still weeps. And it's not just ordinary, like, sniffle-sniffle weeping either. Uh, and uh, This was originally written in Greek, and so you can study the Greek words that were written here uh, to know more about them. And when it says, like, he was deeply moved, like, that's vocabulary- Associated with the snorting of war horses before battle. Uh, so you can just as easily translate that, Jesus bellowing with outrage. And when it says he was greatly troubled, uh, it's like trembling with rage. And when it says Jesus wept, it's using a stronger word than when it says that Mary and Martha, because it says they wept, and it uses a different word, Which is stronger? So you might like you would say he burst into tears, right? Trembling with rage, he burst into tears. Uh, We need to see him overcome by anger and sadness as he confronts the death of his friend and the heartache it gives to the people around him. Because he hates death. If you were here the very first week of the semester, you know we looked at John one where. Jesus is placed at creation. It's saying, like, Jesus is the creator. He made everything, and he made it good. And so he's overcome with sadness and rage as he experienced firsthand how the, the world he made is so, 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 so broken. Right? Think about the two ways we typically respond to death. Um, you know, the first one, or, yeah, the first one, death isn't that sad, it's part of life, you know, like... It's not that bad. Uh, Put on a happy face. And the other one, death 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 proves that life is meaningless. Jesus shows us that Christianity is different. Death is sad. So much of life on earth is sad. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And God hates that. But he's putting an end to it. He's working to put an end to it. But for now, the best way to respond to the sadness we see is to weep and be sad. Uh, There's a reason no one sings the circle of life from the Lion King at funerals, right? You guys remember the Lion King when they explained death? And Simba's like, oh, like Simba is sad about death. And they're like, oh, it's not that sad, actually. Like you get turned into, you decompose and then the animals eat you. And it's this great circle of life. And it's like, that is such garbage. Like, you know, it's not that bad. Like, death is not the way. There's a reason we react to death and suffering and sadness and because it's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. So, what should we do? What do we do with our sadness? What, if I, what do I do if I'm sad tonight? Uh, the first is to be sad. We <laughs> uh, cry out to God. In the Bible, there's all these times where God's people are invited to just cry out to him. Not just for a few minutes. They're like, we're the, our culture is the worst at grieving and mourning. If you go other places, like I've been to uh, Greece before. And in Greece, if you're a widow, if you've lost your husband, uh, you wear black the rest of your life. And it's this... Symbol of mourning, and it's this like sign that, like, you know, maybe give this lady a break because she's dealing with something really hard. So weep and cry out to God, and weep knowing that Jesus weeps with you. Uh, In the Chronicles of Narnia, which I know many of you have read, C.S. Lewis's great works of uh, fantasy, and there's allegory in there. Uh, There's this. One of the books is called The Magician's Nephew. And there's this really sad point where the boy in the story, Diggory, is losing his mother. And she's sick and dying. And, he, and Aslan is this lion that represents Jesus in the books. And he cries out to Aslan. And he says, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? And this is what Lewis who's narrating, writes, he says, Up till then he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now in his despair he looked up at its face, and what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life, for the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. And they were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. Okay, Because Jesus knows the glory that we were made for, he is sadder than we are about everything in our lives that's broken. Do you know that Jesus is sadder than you about the things you're sad about? And finally, we need to get better at weeping with those who weep. Uh, in Romans, Paul commands the church to weep with those who weep, which means that uh, when those that we love are sad, the best thing to do is come around them and just be sad with them because there's a lot about life that's very sad. But I want to look now at how, G- how does Jesus finally respond And he finally wakes Lazarus from the dead. Uh, Despite the fact that he's been dead four days, Jesus tells them to roll away the stone, and he prays. And then he says, Lazarus, come out! And out comes Lazarus, still wrapped in, like, the mummy clothing. And it's this amazing sign, right? But why does he do it? Like, why does Jesus do that? at that point and what we've seen in John so far is that Jesus performs some amazing signs but the signs that Jesus performs are never about like look how awesome he is look how amazing he is they all have deeper significance so we saw when Jesus fed the 5000 it's this sign that really the point of it is to say like Jesus can satisfy you and when he healed the blind man it was the sign that showed through Jesus, we can see reality. And here, Jesus calls his friend back to life. Why does he do it? Uh, he does it to provide a foretaste of what he is going to do with the whole world. And what the sign ultimately means is that there will come a day when Jesus stands at the graves of every Christian and says, Rachel, Victoria, come out. And for those of us that know Jesus, we will. This is why we can truly mourn and truly be sad and still have hope. This is why sadness and hope are not incompatible. Where does the hope ultimately come from, though? Like because, like G- Lazarus died again. Like he, he got he came out of the tomb, but he died later and he stayed dead. So where does the hope come from? Uh, look back at go back a slide ten to verse uh, twenty three. Uh, there's this exchange between Jesus and Martha where he says, like, her, he says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And which, you know, she's talking about the belief that we Christians and the Jews at that time believed that on the last day, the dead will be brought back to life. God's people will be brought to life. And Jesus responds to that by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes. And what Jesus is trying to show her is that salvation and eternal life and true hope are not rooted in an idea. They are rooted in a person. There's a person who is single-handedly going to bring about salvation for God's people. There's a person who's going to make everything right. And it's God himself... Jesus who enters into the midst of our deepest sadness who weeps uncontrollably because of the sadness to save us I wonder as you think about God do you think about an idea or a purpose or a person when you think about your faith do you think of like a set of things of beliefs or do you think about a person named Jesus if you believe in ideas, your hope will not last. That hope is fragile, uh, but if you know Jesus, then you can grieve with hope that one day everything sad will come untrue. And what will make you believe? Uh, look at how this passage winds down. Uh, it ends with G- the religious leaders deciding, like, this is the last straw. Jesus is going to have to be killed. And what that means is that for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead, that was essentially signing his own death warrant. And he does it willingly. And, there's, and Jesus trembles at the tomb of Lazarus, and it's because he's sad, but there's another reason why he trembles at the tomb of Think about Jesus looking into the tomb. And what would he know? He would know that he's about to go into that darkness of the tomb. he is going in. For Jesus to bring Lazarus out of the grave, Jesus was going to have to go into the grave himself. He's about to experience the deepest terror and sorrow of being rejected by God himself on the cross. And to God, the Father himself, he'll cry out on the cross, not where were you, but where are you? As he dies in our place. On the cross. And he does it so that he can stand over our graves someday and say, Come out, come out, come out. He does it not to remove every single sad situation that we face right now, although Jesus is sad about all the things that we face, but he does it so that sadness can one day be removed from our world altogether. And like Lazarus, who died, Jesus also rose from the dead. But the difference is that Jesus never died again. What that means is that one day, God's people will truly come alive like him, to be people that never die. when we do that we'll look into the eye those eyes that cried those tears of sadness and rage and we'll be welcomed welcomed into a world where sadness doesn't exist anymore And we don't live in that day yet and so for now we weep but we weep looking ahead to the day when sadness will go away and as we anticipate that day we'll begin to come alive even now And so let's close by praying that God would do that work in us even now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... If we were to just take a poll of the sad things that people in this room have endured, it would be too much to handle. Uh, So we thank you that you are sad about those things as well, that you weep with us, and that... There is hope in Christ. We pray that we would know something of that hope now and always. We pray that we would experience life even now while we wait for the day when sadness ends. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.